It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, joined today by Mike at Bengals underscore Sands Santagata. We're going to get into our regular weekly film review. And yeah, Baltimore didn't really field a full team against the Bengals. That's the talking point in the national media today, apparently as the Joe Burrow is an MVP candidate hype train has transitioned to Joe Burrow is overrated in some circles, apparently. But we're going to discuss Joe Burrow's game and how the Bengals decided to attack the Ravens with the passing game. And if that's translatable to when the Bengals take on the Chiefs this week, we're going to talk about the offensive line and protections and whether they'll be able to actually protect if they do want to go pass heavy in the next couple of weeks. And we're going to wrap up with the defense, take a look at what the Bengals did with Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown as a discount version, let's say, of the test the Bengals will face in Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback next week. We're going to start, though, Mike, with Joe Burrow. I thought he played a fantastic game. I thought he showcased some things that we know he had in him but have been coming along in a big way, I think, in recent weeks, and that's mental processing speed, evasiveness in the pocket, and still the the accuracy, both on and off platform in this game, actually, I thought was great as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. You, I mean, you throw for 525 yards, and you probably did just about everything, right? But it was a very exciting game for everything that he could do. I mean, pocket awareness, pocket movement, Two hands on the ball every time. Past three games, I think that that's Denver, this game, and San Francisco. Maybe we'll say the past uh, five halves because the first half of San Francisco was whatever. But since then, it, and Denver, I mean, the stats were out there, but I thought he played pretty well. Um, yeah, he's looked really good, especially when it comes to all the pocket stuff, the pocket movement. I haven't seen too many frantic when he feels pressure, he just starts running. Instead, he's taking slight steps, slide a slide to the left, a step up, whatever needs done. And honestly, we haven't seen too much of that uh, spin roll as well, which I think is a fine move, but he was overusing it early in the year. And now if he busts it out, it's a little bit more surprising. Uh, but yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, everything he did was so... 
image of the off platform, and that includes one of my favorite throws, the one to the Boyd was. <laughs> I mean, he's running up. He steps up, and then he just he's about to take off, and then he sees, oh shoot, I've got Boyd. <laughs> he's just on the run, throws it up right into the bucket, and it's too bad Boyd couldn't come down with it because that was an awesome play. A bit of a jump ball there, but certainly gave him a chance to high point it. He did high point it, did Tyler Boyd, and the defensive back for the Ravens did just enough to get it out as it was ruled a complete it all the way through the ground kind of play by the officials. And there's the off platform to to Joe Mixon rolling right as well. That's a really good play that isn't garbage time given, but he's he's running. He's rolling and drops it in a bucket about 40, 50 yards downfield. So the the other thing that was really impressive to me that I started to talk about, Mike, in this game for the for for Joe Burrow was yes, the players for the Ravens weren't great, but it's still Wink Martindale coaching him up and calling the plays and, and setting the designs and and the different traps in in coverage and in pressures. And he did get got once on, on a free rusher where they didn't have a hot and he took a sack on a free rusher. But I thought that Burrow's ability to see and process and decision and and make decisions quickly in this game really triggered a lot of big plays for the Bengals. And I think you tweeted some plays about this that that really relied on this capability and processing speed as well. Absolutely. And uh, the one you mentioned that was my favorite was uh, you talked about a trap and I think that's a cool way to look into this real quick. And I'm just going to draw, let's say I just draw half the field here. I don't remember the exact play, but it was something, something like this where you had an out and then a vertical. And let's say, I think, I think Sam maybe came on. <laughs> I, I wish the play was here. So I could, wasn't guessing so much, but you see the, the blitz is coming from the linebacker. And then you have four pass rushers coming from there as well. So usually when you're a quarterback and you see that, if it's to your front side, you're hot. And what's your hot is right here, this out route. That's okay. If they're going to bring Sam here, then I've got the out route. But you can see here, I keep adding right to it. Hopefully you're on YouTube to see this. The cornerback's right there to sit on. He's waiting. He wants you to throw that. This is a five-man pressure, and it's – it's a really good design for a quarterback that sees hot, throws hot. And Burrow did this a few times in the game too. But Burrow sees hot. He sets his feet to throw it hot. But then he sees the corner sitting there, sees the safety over top. And this is one of those things where when people say that Burrow, he doesn't have a strong arm, he can still hit the honey hole shot and cover too. So like, what do you need? He just can't be late on things. He hits, him he hits Chase back shoulder there. And watching live, I thought, wow, what a catch from Chase. Because I, I didn't. I'm a ball watcher too when I watch live a lot, <laughs> just like everybody else. And then I'm watching that on the All-22. And also I think Nate Tice also went over this a lot on the Athletic Football Show, which is a nice podcast you should listen to after this one. Uh, <laughs> it's He said it's to get young quarterbacks a lot of the time, and I don't have too much experience with that. All I know is that, yeah, a lot of quarterbacks fall for that trap. Um, and it's a little bit similar to – Five trap, which is a big Bill Belichick thing that he came up with. That one's a little bit more disguised to me. It looks like cover two, uh, 
two man under, I'll call it. Uh, it looks like two man under five trap. It's cover five and their family, whatever. Oh, coverage names are just coverage names to everybody. Uh, so it looks like two man uh, and the cornerback even turns with his man, but then he keeps his eyes to his shoulder here, even though he turned that way with his man. And if there's an outbreaker, he cuts him off and he jumps underneath it. And there's so many interceptions that come off of that. Uh, the Jags, Last year, this is the first one I think of against Philip Rivers, which yeah, Philip Rivers is not a young quarterback. They got him with one of these trap coverages, and he throws a pick. I just don't think – sometimes you're just not expecting it. Sometimes you think, I've got him. Uh, maybe that coordinator hasn't shown it a lot, although I will say that Wink Martindale, he gives you everything. That That's the thing you mentioned is that, like, yeah, bad players, but it's Wink Martindale. And I get told all the time that you can scheme up a pass rush and they did, <laughs> they got free runners. And uh, I think Wink Martindale is one of the guys that people think of when you say scheme up a pass rush. So the pass rush was there. I think there were 20 plus pressures per PFF. So all that considered, he's through for 525 yards, bad corners. Sure. But who cares? I mean, that's just an impressive day. And, yeah, if you if, go to my Twitter and see the uh, play of the two, the cover two uh, fire zone, two deep, four under fire zone, because they, against a lot of players, and even maybe Burrow last year, that's a pick, but Burrow resets his feet and throws the whole shot, and it was beautiful. Yeah, what was really impressive to me about that play is how quickly he gets off the the flat, the out, whatever that underneath route is, and, and gets it on time, because the safety over the top isn't late no matter how good or bad of a player it is, and I don't know which safety it was, I don't recall, he wasn't late. It was a really good decision about ball placement. I thought Burrow put the ball on the back shoulder intentionally, and it, it was also a great catch on the other end for Jamar Chase. Fantastic toe tap to to get his feet in bounds before he got shoved violently out of bounds. But you know the, the processing speed, the accuracy, the decision-making about where he wanted to put the ball, all really impressive on that play and really served him well throughout this game. And and the Bengals will need this. I think it is a trend at this point that Burrow has shown incremental improvements in some parts of his game. And a lot of this, I think, goes to his knee being healthy and him having that improved evasiveness and feel in the pocket so that he's oh, he, he's just showing increased awareness of his surroundings, increased awareness of his coverages, and the accuracy hasn't diminished at all with the pinky injury, which I think is very impressive. Coming up next, we're going to talk about whether this is sustainable for the Bengals as they're going to take on a much better defense in the ascending Kansas City Chiefs, who have been much, much better on defense after a much rough start to the year, and whether protection might be more of a thorn in the Bengals' side. That's coming up next. But first, got to tell you about Built Bar. James Rapine not here with us today, unfortunately, but you know he's out there eating Built Bars no matter what it is he's doing. And I've had one today too. I always do. And sometimes you make New Year's resolutions. Everybody heard Bill Belichick get asked after a loss if he had any New Year's resolutions. And he didn't want to talk about it, but I do. And if yours is getting fit or eating healthier, Built Bar should be part of that plan. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Some of them even taste better than candy bars. My personal favorite, the coconut brownie chunk with those real chunks of brownie, just fantastic. And unlike other protein bars that are chalky or waxy or taste like chemicals, the built bar tastes great. It's covered in hundred percent real chocolate. And despite all of that, and this talk about candy bars and chocolate, 
There's only 130 calories in each built bar coming from just four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Check it out right now at built.com. See all the flavors available from coconut almond to raspberry cookies and cream or mint brownie. Again, built.com. We've got a promo code for you right now, locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. Again, that's promo code locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, Mike, let's bring it back. Talk a little bit about Joe Burrow, the sustainability of this passing offense. And the, the reason I bring that up is because the Baltimore Ravens did not have a good defense on the field. And, and we can acknowledge that. And we can acknowledge that Joe Burrow played really well despite that because, and I think we talked about this, it's still a challenge to process what Mike Martindale is putting in front of you. And, and I thought that Zach Taylor had a good game plan. I love that he stayed aggressive. I love that Joe Burrow stayed in the game late, although maybe the last drive was a little superfluous. It, it's fun, right? And, and it worked and nobody got hurt. And so we can't really complain about any of it. But the, the question is, despite how bad the Ravens defense was, and I love the Joe Burrow quote that was like, they started in zone. That didn't really work out too well for him. Then they started blitzing. That didn't really work out too well for him either. They did get a lot of pressure on Joe Burrow, including those last few drives when a lot of fans wanted him out of the game. And Hakeem Adeniji had a rough day in protection. Isaiah Prince had a rough day in protection. I will say the left side, for the most part, was better, although Quentin Spain did give up that uh, very first hit on the very first play of the game that Burrow shrugs off and manages to complete the ball to T. Higgins. What do you think from a from a schematic perspective from what we've seen in the last few weeks because they do seem a little bit adaptable here. We can expect against the Chiefs who have, you know, a Chris Jones and a Melvin Ingram and a Tyram Matthew and a solid secondary. Are they going to be able to keep throwing the ball this way or are they going to have to go back to running the ball a lot and taking the ball out of Burrow's hands because they kind of know this offensive line can't hold up in its current composition, I guess, if they need to drop back pass. Oh, yeah. And uh, just mentioning Chris Jones with the guys feels like it's not doing him credit. I think they're really going to try to isolate him one on one with probably the right guard. Um, so, uh, and, and I mean, hey, the Bengals game plan is probably going to be we're going to slide to Chris Jones or we're going to give him some type of help. So it'll be interesting to see who wins the battle of can they get a one on one with Chris Jones against honestly either guard as much as. I think Quentin Spain's been solid for most of the year, shakier lately, which is the problem. <clears throat> now you get Chris Jones, who's, I don't know, top five, three technique in the league. Who knows? He's like, use this carefully because Geno Atkins Hall of Famer <laughs> in my book. I, I know probably fringe in everybody in the NFL's eyes, but he's kind of like that where he's really strong and he's, he's, really good with his hands. He's got good. He's not the leverage type that Gino was to be six foot and just drive guys, but right. he's six. Just, six. Yeah. Opposite. Yeah. <laughs> I think very hey, strength is the same. <laughs> you can still yeah. bully a guy like that. And uh, basically just, he has the pass wrestling chops to really ruin this game. Absolutely. Frank Clark wasn't mentioned. And I think he hot and cold, but when he's on, he's on. And you saw that. I think that was against Cleveland. 
in the playoff game, wasn't he, was it him or Jones that got the last pressure of the game and it was on fourth down. And it just felt like, yeah, we'll call it Frank Clark. Cause it helps my <laughs> take here. I think, I think he comes to play sometimes and when he's on, he's pretty hot. And I thought Melvin Ingram for the Steelers prior to them trading him, thought he was their second best edge rusher. I thought he was pretty good and he's a piece you can move around. So those three are all dangerous and, I mean, really, it's up to Burrow, I think. He's been kind of putting on the Superman cape behind this offensive line for most of the year and turning. Yeah, he's been sacked a lot, but it should be much worse, and especially lately where I think he avoided – I don't keep track, but it feels like seven seven sacks or so probably that he was able to avoid. I mean, guys just falling off of him. Maybe I'm being liberal with pocket movement. <laughs> Maybe it wouldn't have been a sack. I don't know, but – yeah, he he makes guys miss. He makes subtle movements in the pocket. We already gushed about Burrow. I should probably stop, but I think I think a lot of this is going to come down to can Burrow, when Chris Jones beats whoever, can Burrow step around that and make him miss and get the ball downfield still? Because I do think the Matthew's a problem, but Matthew to me is a little bit more of the chaos creator robber. They're going to put him in a situation. Uh, to try to get a turnover while I think the coverage guys, the actual coverage guys, the Cherevius Wards, who's a fine player, but I mean, the Bengals receivers are the Bengals receivers for a reason. They draft all these guys for a reason. They want to be better than the cornerbacks they face. And I think they do have that advantage this week, not to the same level, but they do have the advantage. I I do think that, and we'll talk about this more, you know, we're going to have our crossover tomorrow and our game preview coming up in, in a few days, but Kansas city secondary you can't sleep on him. This guy, Rashad Fenton, I've never heard of him. This season, he's been he's, he's been targeted 39 times, given up just 230 yards, 8.2 uh, yards per catch against him, passer rating 86 on, on passes into his coverage. Pretty good for 321 coverage snaps. He's getting targeted 10% of the time. They're not throwing his way very often. Mike Hughes, Juan Thornhill, Tyran Matthew, and Legereus Sneed, if he's healthy, which I think he is. Um they're all guys that are that are solid, solid players. And I'm going to be really interested to see as well how much they blitz because this is a team that loves to send blitzers. They have Sneed as Sneed a corner has has pass rush 49 times this year. Ben Neiman, a linebacker, 73 pass rushing snaps this year. Nick Bolton, 41 pass rushes. Daniel Sorensen, 49. Tyron Matthew, 34. Willie Gay, 30. So this is a team that's not shy about blitzing. These are a lot of guys that compared to like even Baltimore, I think, you know, this is a blitz heavy team. And we'll, we'll ask Chris about that when we talk to him tomorrow, when we do our crossover, but right guard, right tackle. I know that the Bengals have put their confidence behind Akeem Adenogy. We talked about this, I think, last week, maybe two weeks ago. And they also seem to be pretty confident in Isaiah Prince. But Fred Johnson played pretty well. I know different level of competition in a lot of ways. And Jackson Carmen, when he's been on the field, has kind of shown some things. And, and Deontay Smith back, we talked about him too. I'm still, if I'm the Bengals looking at those two guys and wondering if I can upgrade them with guys that I have in house based on how they've played the last couple of weeks. It's so late that it's almost like, <clears throat> are we going to upgrade and change all the communication, everything that, although I don't think a energy has been, I don't think that's been his strong suit is being able to always be right and getting better. Cause there's just a few plays you see and you're like, 
oh, I think Hopkins thought he was supposed to do this, or I think whoever thought this. And you still see that sometimes. So the continuity matters, but it's it's a little bit of, yeah, would it change much with Carmen in there? <laughs> I, honestly, I'm at the point with those two that I think you're probably getting a similar result either way. Um, I think they're similar level players right now. I used to think Adenogy had the advantage, but I mean... He's just had a few rough games in a row that make me go, eh, I don't know. Carmen was doing this too. So maybe I was just whatever was happening early on, I, I was a little bit more awestruck by. And Prince on the right tackle, I also thought Fred Johnson was possibly better. I like what the oomph that Fred Johnson brings in run blocking. And that's something that Prince doesn't have. It's just he gets after it and he can move guys. He, when it was him and uh, either Adenogy or Carmen, when they ran duo, it was no longer the double team moves a guy back like two yards. It was the double teams moving this guy back five yards and he's moving over a gap. And uh, you, you're not getting that anymore with Prince. And that's not to say Prince is doing bad because I think Prince, he struggled a little bit in pass protection this week, but I do think, I think he's got some chops in pass protection. I, I think I'd like to see it against a high level competition. And I also scared to see it against some high level competition <laughs> and they'll get that this week with how I feel about Melvin Ingram and Frank Clark. So we'll see. I honestly, I'd probably just keep everything the same, even though I'm the the, uh, my self-proclaimed leader of the Deontay Smith hive. I feel like that ship almost sailed for the year without an injury. It's just, I don't think they want to throw him in there and just throw a third guy into this mix. <laughs> I think if they make a change, it's probably to Carmen and, Johnson for those two positions um, relatively, but uh, I honestly think they're going to go with the group that they have. And unless one of them is just abysmal, which I don't think any of them have been abysmal this year, uh, then I think they're going to stick with it. I'm more worried about Adenergy, if I'm being honest, because of, he, he was losing to some practice squad guys and, and like in, in one-on-one situations, just, just losing reps in pass protection, which you know, one of them was a jump set, which went really poorly for him. And, you know, he, he's had some immediate losses and it's not just communication. And this is why I'm a little bit more concerned about it is that it's like he's he's physically losing some of these battles as well, which happens from time to time. But when you have Chris Jones on the docket, I'm, I'm not saying Jackson Carmen would necessarily be better here. And And I totally am sympathetic to the continuity discussion. It's just like many Bengals fans, I think I'm desperate for, for how do we improve pass protection? And maybe there's just no way to do it at this point in the season with a couple bigger tests coming up in Cleveland and Kansas city coming up next, Mike, let's talk Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, tight ends and fast wide receivers, because that is the one similarity between the Ravens and the chiefs offenses that we can try to extrapolate and look forward to next week. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. So let's dive into that conversation, Mike. The idea that Mark Andrews is really, really good. Travis Kelsey, probably a little bit better. Hollywood Brown presents some challenges. Tyree Kill is a freak. And 
does some things that that Hollywood does and then does a lot of other things a lot better. When we were watching the game live, a lot of Bengals fans on Twitter, as I'm sure you noticed and I tweeted about because I didn't really quite understand the outrage. There's there's some trauma perhaps associated with tight ends in in Bengals fandom. It, it seemed to me when watching the defense back, yeah, Mark Andrews got his, but the Bengals were paying extra attention to him. And a couple times when they did pay extra attention to him, they had a linebacker over him and then a safety behind, and they kind of had a bracket on. They got beat elsewhere. I think Rashad Bateman's touchdown came because Jesse Bates was worried about Mark Andrews and there was no help inside after Mike Hilton got beat off the release against Rashad Bateman on a little slant. And I'm not saying Jesse Bates would have made the play, but he's entirely focused on Mark Andrews on that play. You, I saw on Twitter, did a thread of every Mark Andrews catch, and it's not like the Bengals weren't trying to stop him, I would say. And and like I said, there were a couple times they paid extra attention to him and got burnt. You have to balance that out when Tyree kills the other guy, but but what were your takeaways when you looked at how the Bengals approached Andrews and to a lesser extent, I would say Hollywood Brown and his speed and, and how that might indicate how they're going to try to handle Travis Kelsey and uh and Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I mean that combo is pretty similar just because it's a super fast guy with a very good tight end. And I do think that Travis Kelsey is more than just a little bit better than Mark Andrews. I think Travis Kelsey's a nightmare. <laughs> and that not to say Mark Andrews isn't, but it's just Travis Kelsey in the playoffs last year, not to go back to the Chiefs Browns game, but he broke Denzel Ward's ankles, <laughs> like made him fall down. He's I don't think I've good. seen I don't think I've seen Andrews do that, and that's that's just insane for a tight end to be doing. They put their best coverage guy on him, and he fell down trying to cover him, <laughs> not from physicality, from him moving so much. So um, the one thing I will say, yeah, when you focus on a tight end, you, you're devoting two resources, two guys in coverage to a tight end. It just leaves you susceptible to everybody else. And when you're facing Hollywood Brown and Tyreek Hill, you can't do it. You you need somebody over the top of them or not a bracket, but just you need more eyes on him than just one-on-one downfield because he's four, two athletes. If, if Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews win longest catch Mark Andrews had, I believe was 28 yards on a busted weird cover three rotation. When it came to everything else, it was like 15 yards. You give, you're okay giving those up compared to if Tyree kill or Hollywood Brown, they're one-on-one and they win. It's 50 yards. It's heck. Patrick Mahomes can throw further than 50 yards. It's 60 yards. <laughs> if you make somebody miss, you're looking even further. It's those guys are just the explosive ones. And you can see that Lou Anarumo thinks, okay, we want to limit the explosive plays. And if they're going to dink and dunk their way to the tight end downfield, because there were a few of those Mark Andrews plays as well that were. He caught it at four yards, but the guy went for a pick or to break up the pass, and now he's broken a tackle and he turns it into a 12-yard gain. It just happens. You you need better tackling. You need maybe your guy gets in there just a hair faster to be able to break that pass up, but I li- I'd rather live with those catches to the tight end, and it's just these guys, those, those two, Kittle and Waller, it sucks the Bengals faced all of them. Those are just the best tight ends in the league, and Everybody wants one. That's why Kyle Pitts went fourth overall. They're matchup nightmares. They're they're guys you can't really cover that well. Uh, it's just the old adage used to be he's 
too fast for linebackers and too big for safeties. Now he's he's too fast for safeties and he's too big for cornerbacks. <laughs> yeah. And and not just those guys, by the way. Uh, the Bengals also played TJ Hawkinson, who is a top 10 pick. Noah Fant, his teammate from Iowa, who was a first round pick. I think they've managed to dodge like Mike Gusecki out of the top six <laughs> uh, receiving tight ends statistically this year. And and even Albert O, whose last name I don't try to pronounce on Denver, is a freak athlete at the position. So they, they've played a lot of really good tight ends this year. And those tight ends, they, they get some. I mean, there, there's a reason <laughs> that they're featured on their, on their teams. There's a reason that Travis Kelsey has 119 targets. But I, I do think Kelsey's a little bit scarier, like, like you said, than Mark Andrews. He's just a better athlete. Looking at his games this year, in all but like three games this year, he has at least a 19-yard catch, maybe four games this year. So there's a lot of explosive plays in his resume, including a 69-yard play last week. I think that was a game winner where – he just went crazy after the catch against the 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 Chargers. So he's going to be a handful. But but to your point, the the Bengals capped Hollywood Brown. We talked about this before the show. There was one play where maybe they didn't have a safety over. Maybe there were a couple, but there's one that stood out because they took the shot and it was just an overthrow. But if it's not an overthrow, that's probably a touchdown. If it's not just an explosive play, Tyree kills better than than Hollywood Brown. He's better with the ball in the air. He's better after the catch. He's probably faster. And if he's not faster, he's at least more explosive and, and sudden and, and more physical and uses his athleticism, I think, a little bit better. So you, you kind of have to pick your poison, right? And it's it's got, it's one of these things where there's probably going to be a lot of scrutiny again this week, as there was last week about why isn't this defense doing more? And and sure, you could argue that the defense could have been a little bit better against Josh Johnson. I don't think they were too worried about it. I think they knew they would get a few stops and had had an offense that could put up 40, and they did. Against the Chiefs, I think, harder defensive matchup, and you need the offense to put up 40 again, regardless of that, because Kansas City's figured it out. They figured In the last, what was it that I DM'd you in the last eight weeks the the chiefs or was it five weeks or something the chiefs have the best success rate uh highest rate of first downs against cover two high coverages uh yeah. in the nfl i mean teams he, th- that's how they slow the chiefs down early in the year the chiefs will figure that out there's a reason they've won all these games in a row uh so you know while we're talking about what can the defense do to slow them down and i am curious to get your thoughts there I still think it's going to be the offense. But that being said, what can the defense do, in your opinion, to slow them down? Uh, and is it anything that's sustainable? <laughs> Some of, so the first thing I'll say is just get the get the variance plays to work in your favor, the interceptions, the fumbles, the sacks, all of that. Just get those high-leverage drive killers, turn the ball over type things. Now, I'm going to show what the Chiefs really like to do yeah, they like this play. They like a few plays that are like this. They love, I circled Tyree kill in this situation. They like putting him at number three, which is frustrating because not every cornerback follows guys into there. So will it be Cheeto? Will it be Mike Hilton? I think it'll be Cheeto following him. I don't yeah. think they'll leave Hilton up there. Now, how do you, and they like on the other side. Uh, yeah. Over here, Travis Kelsey, they leave him as the one man 
they like to have three wide receivers on one side and Travis Kelsey on the other. And, and, and just to sorry, just to describe what you've got drawn there, it's, it looks like a three verts variant with with maybe a, a post underneath or, or deep crosser. I was actually going to talk about the crosser. This is a four verts variant, but this is called a, a bender. Great name. <laughs> uh, one way that teams have done a great job of taking this away, and it almost sounds a little bit counterintuitive to what we just talked about, but it's playing one cross, and it's happened a lot. The Titans did this. Um, the Broncos did this. And these are all teams that did pretty well against them. And, well, I also think that the Chargers did this, and they haven't done well against them. <laughs> but you get the – so in one cross, you have cover one, which is a man coverage. It's just – I'm not going to bother with names or anything. So you get corners, for example, on all of these guys running vertical, man-to-man. The difference is your strong safety or your free safety. It, when it comes to the Chiefs, it's whoever's opposite of Tyreek Hill. They're going to rob at the sticks, and that gives you great leverage for on – I mean, he's a super fast guy, but it gives you great leverage picking it up. So you're picking it up from the opposite side of the field. It's almost a bracket because you just – they love that bender so much that it almost turns into a bracket of you have the cornerback low and on the outside and somebody high and on the inside. And that's a cheap way to get a bracket on them when they like to do that just as a tendency thing. Another thing they really like to do is going five out and Bengals fans – They'll know when you go five man protections, you are susceptible to quite a bit. And uh, even though they keep backs in the backfield because they like to throw RPOs and stuff off of it, which if it's me, I'm telling my linebackers to just play the pass portion of that until you see it handed off <laughs> because I'm not worried about Clyde's hurt. It's Darrell Williams running for five yards of carry. Sure. <laughs> just don't give, don't let Tyree kill catch the glance in space one-on-one -on -one against whoever. Um, but when you go five-man protections, you've got three things you could really do. You could half slide, three-man slide, you could four-man slide, and you could full slide. And you could 5-0. Okay, four things. And you could man-to-man -man the protection. Bring six. That's one way to, to get some pressure there, but I don't love bringing six against Patrick Mahomes. Um, another way is to just – you have – they've been able to do it a little bit this year, but you drop guys out, play creepers, uh, which is a four-man rush with – you keep the same coverage shell as normal cover two. It's still too deep five underneath, but you're bringing like a slot corner or you're bringing a safety or you're bringing a linebacker and you're going to drop somebody off the end. And a lot of people hate this because they see Sam Hubbard trying to zone drop, but he's not supposed to be doing it long. It's supposed to, <laughs> it's supposed to beat the protection and he's just there to hold up for just long enough. And, uh, I think that's another way to do it. I think you run a lot of games at these five-man things. If you can get them, if you could dictate their pass protection, move a linebacker down, put him head up over the center, and just have him stand there pre-snap, and then they'll probably man-to-man 5-0, big-on-big, whatever you call that, which is just guy over the center, that's blocked by the center. Guard blocks the guy over the guard. Tackle blocks the guy over the tackle. There's nothing weird about it. You know, There's not, we're moving this way and I'm blocking this gap. It's I'm blocking that guy in front of me. If you can force them into that, and then you run twists and things like that, those become harder to pass off than when they are sliding. And because a lot of times when you run these twists and stuff, it's, it's you want to get two on two. You don't want to get the center slide to you because when the guy comes around and the center sliding, obviously he's there to help pick it up. When it's on the other end and you've got a guard sliding to his right and then tackle sliding to his right and then 
oh, this guy ran inside. I have to try to pass this off to the guard. And then the tackle's looping around the outside. It's a shortened edge. And a lot goes right when you get it over the man side. <laughs> and I think that's one way to it. That's another way to attack it. Because to me, it's, it's the same thing we've been saying about Peyton Manning, about Drew Brees, about Tom Brady, about Aaron Rodgers. It's to beat the Chiefs, in my opinion, you want to rush four and get home and play good enough coverage on the back end to hold up for three seconds, maybe two and a half in this league. I don't know. It, it keeps going down with as fast as these quarterbacks are getting the ball out and getting better at making the reads quick. So you just have to have the coverage to hold up just long enough for something to get home, whether that's a game like a, a TE stunt or a slot blitz or anything. You just need just enough time because you're not going to clamp up this unit in coverage. Uh, I mean, the Broncos are probably the best example of a team that can do that to just about anybody. And they're, they're the number one uh, scoring defense, I believe. So when the Bengals didn't score a lot, it made sense. They've got so many corners. They've got so many former first round picks and they chose to take Pat Sertan over a quarterback because they knew we want to run this defense and we want to be able to keep up with any offense in whatever coverage. And the Bengals don't have that as much as we love these guys. <laughs> they, they've got guys that they can hold up for just long enough, I believe, but it's going to come down to the pass rush, I think, and whether or not that gets home. Yeah, you mentioned the high-variance plays, and that is certainly a big part of it. Early in the year, Patrick Mahomes was putting the ball in danger much more frequently than he has in, say, the last five, six, seven games when he's really started to – and the Chiefs really have started to figure things out and hit their hit their stride. He's also barely been pressured in the last four weeks. So whether the Bengals can get home with four is a big factor because, you know, you, you look at his history this year, he's only been blitzed 15.5% of the time. Teams are scared to death to blitz Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And, and for the reasons you just talked about, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And the guy's just, even if he's having a bit of a down year by his standards, he's still got all those skills and is every bit as scary as, as he has been for the last few years. So against a better offensive line, I would say this week than last week, maybe in a few weeks, the Bengals will be tested to see if they can get some pressure, but they've shown that capability getting DJ reader back would be, I think pretty big and freeing up other resources to do, to do other things with the new COVID protocols, uh, which we'll have to talk about more tomorrow at this point, uh, because we're 37 minutes into this episode. Uh, there, there's probably some pretty realistic hope that DJ reader gets back if he's feeling okay. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on, how the COVID situation around the league evolves this week as the Bengals get ready to apply their lessons learned from the Ravens game against the Chiefs. For Bengals fans, that's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Hope you enjoyed all the insights into the film review and the preview as we started to look ahead to the Chiefs there. Until next time, when we're back with our crossover Thursday, who day, and have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. 
available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.